You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, welcome to Aging Starts Now. I'm Barbara McGinnis from Take Us McGinnis Elder Care Law, and with me is Joshua Bay, Public Benefits Specialist, who specializes in TennCare, Tennessee's version of Medicaid program. And we're going to talk today about the use of caregiver agreements. We get that question a good bit. Can a family member be paid to help take care of a family member? And the answer is yes, right, Josh? We help them do that a good yes, bit. Yes, ma'am. We do do that a good bit for our clients. A caregiver agreement is what we recommend. So it is is in writing the parameters of the services that would be provided to the elder or disabled person and what payment would be expected so that if you had to go to the VA or to TennCare and we're showing this transfer of money on a month-to-month basis, we can prove that it wasn't a gift. That's what TennCare is looking for, right? Yes, ma'am. That's exactly what TennCare is looking for because when they look at your bank statements and if they see a check or cash coming out of your account to a particular person, whether it's a family member or not, and it's repetitive, just like paying a caregiver would be on a monthly basis or a weekly basis, TennCare is going to question that. And this caregiver agreement is great to have to be able to show TennCare, hey, this is what these payments were for. Were for. And we call it a caregiver agreement. It's a contract. It is a written contract between two uh, adult parties, the, the elder care recipient and then the caregivers, whether that's usually children or grandchildren, uh, not a spouse. Now, we really don't in, in use caregiver agreements for spouse caregiving because spouses are held to a different standard of um obligation of support and maintenance than children are. But it could be a family friend or some other kind of relative, uh, and we recommend that it be in writing. What do you think one of the primary things TennCare is actually looking for to substantiate those services were provided? They're looking for, of course, what services were provided. And they're looking for the, uh, in the caregiver agreement, they're actually looking for the payment amount because that's going to match what's coming out of the, uh, the checking account that's on the bank statement. So if they can kind of verify those saying, hey, this is what services were provided. This is the actual physical contract. It's signed by both parties. It's dated. Um, and, and this is the amount and it matches what's coming out of the account. TennCare will be fine with that. Have you ever had a TennCare case get denied because of caregiver agreement payments? I've had it get denied because there was not a there was not an agreement in place, but there were payments made and it was included. It was considered a gift because there was nothing to actual actually materialize to show TennCare, hey, this is what was these payments to this family member was for. 
Um, I think I, I can remember a time when I actually had to go to an appeal hearing, but it was when somebody tried to pay themselves back, like do a retro payment. Like they quit taking caregiver agreement. They had a caregiver agreement in place. They quit taking payments. And then all of a sudden they did a big back payment to themselves. And TenCare really frowned yeah. upon that. They just flat denied yeah, that and really said, we're, we're not going to entertain this retroactive payment. So that would be a word of caution, a big takeaway. If you're going to have a caregiver agreement, you're going to be paying somebody for it. You need to do it consistently. If the terms of the agreement is weekly pay, pay yourself weekly. If the terms are monthly pay, pay yourself monthly. Correct. And if you skip a payment for whatever reason, don't don't try to get caught up by doing some big retroactive uh, amount. Maybe they should. Maybe TenCare should accept it because it's a debt incurred. But you're asking for some problems Correct. if you do. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Definitely asking for problems. TenCare doesn't necessarily like when you have lump sum payments for. It, it, I guess an example would be room and board. If you, you know, you're paying somebody, if if the applicant is paying to live with you and then you, you decide to, hey, mom, mom or dad hadn't paid me for a year. I'm going to, you know, you know, they're going to pay me $10,000 now, you know, same way to girl deny it. Yeah. I think um, another word of caution about how to use caregiver agreements, I would recommend that, it, of course, is a document drafted by an attorney because it is a real contract and you do have to have terms of the contract, like what are you going to do in exchange for what kind of money? Um, if the person is then placed, the care recipient is placed in a long-term care facility, my personal recommendation would be to suspend those caregiver payments. I know the work of a caregiver is never really done, but TenCare is not going to accept this what looks like duplication of payments. Yeah. They're paying the facility to take care of, of the elder, and then the elder still paying the child under a caregiver agreement. That's probably just not going to fly. Okay, what do you think? Not going to fly with TenCare. Now, of course, yeah. Now, of course, uh, let's say there's a company coming in to to help with care. Let's just say at night. You know, that's a company. You can get. You know, TenCare will be fine with that. But if there's a caregiver agreement to provide care, pretty much what the facility is providing, you know, TenCare will probably kick that back as well. The caregiver, the person that's getting paid they are going to have to report that as earnings to the IRS. Correct. Yes, I mean, we, we do tell people that it's a job right. and you're getting paid to do a job and you need to report it as earnings. And then they need to work out, usually with an accountant or maybe a daily money manager or somebody that can help them determine tax withholdings and how all of that pay, being a household employee is determined. Um. So they need to think about that as part of it as well. It's not just it's it's not just real real easy. It's not terribly complicated either, but it's not just real real easy. Correct. Um, 
Any other questions that you can think of that people ask you about caregiver agreements? Yes, the most important thing to mention when it comes to caregiver agreements is documentation. I'm guessing TenCare in general is documentation. If there's changes to the caregiver agreement, document it, sign it, date it. That's the most important thing when it comes. If there's going to be a change in in pay, document it. Hey, we're going to change this payment to the caregiver on this date, and this is the new amount, sign it and date it. That's the most important thing when it comes to, you know, reporting the caregiver agreement, just be as detailed as possible with TenCare. If you're doing it without an attorney, of course, you know, be as detailed, uh, be as, detailed as possible on the services that, uh, that are being provided. You can also be as detailed as possible on the time. And we're going to provide services from, you know, nine to five at $22 an hour or something like that. Oh, that's a good point, Josh. Um, the amount that you're contracting to pay does have to be reasonable, and it does have to be something based on community standards. You can't just say, I'm going to, I want to be paid $10,000 a month to take care of my mom. Right, yes, it, it has to be something based on reason. And that $22 an hour that you mentioned, um, that's a pretty going community rate right, right now that we hear from companies, but that is companies with, about what they would charge. Well, anyway, you do have to base it on a community standard. So you, there's some thought that goes into the amount that you're going to charge. Documentation, you know, I think it's a best practice for um whoever the person is that's accepting primary responsibility for the care of an elder or disabled person, that they're keeping some sort of log of what's going on. I don't mean every, um, every time you take them to the restroom kind of log, but I am thinking about big things, doctor's appointments, changes in condition. And, and maybe that has that supports the fact that you're really providing care, but maybe it's just a good idea for helping to track that person's progress, not just separate and apart from the caregiver agreement. I think it's a good idea to keep a some sort of journal about the health status of the person that you're responsible for. I found that in my own personal experience with my mom. I guess that's what I'm talking about. I agree with that. I agree with that 100. And 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 you can never have too much information for team care when it comes to when it comes to uh, substantiating. You know, hey, you know, I'm they're not giving giving me money. It's not for anything. You know, caregiver agreement. Here's my log of hours. I've seen clients give me that, and it you know it. It helps with ten care, if the, especially if they do a personal, you know, a personal caregiver agreement with a family member, and it's not done by an attorney, and it may not be as detailed as ours would be. Having those those records to show whether the, the time you were caring for them, the the doctor visits, and things like that helps a lot. I had one more thought about caregiver agreements in ten care. Oh, it relates to payment, Josh. Yes, do you think it's a good idea to actually pay by check instead of an auto draft? And is it a good idea on the check to write down in that four or that little memo field to write that you're doing it for 
caregiver services. Yes and yes. That's both. That's document, 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 document. Because whenever you get that bank statement, let's just say they've been caregiving for three years and, and you have to provide, you know, 60 months of bank statement, bank statements because 10 care can request that. And you can see that 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 check will show to to this person. And then and in the memo field, it says for caregiving services that that automatically answers that question for 10 care to show, hey, here's a caregiver agreement. Here's a check. This is not considered a gift. Good, good advice. Thanks, Joshua. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up talking about caregiver agreements. And I invite you, the listeners, to follow us on your favorite podcast station and listen again when we talk about more issues related to aging, chronic illness, and everything related to elder care law. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Takeus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.